It is about 10.45 a.m. in the morning, and I just need you guys to trust me because I'm a novice. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode two of Trust Me, I'm a Novice, the podcast about connections. We are talking science, psychology, spirituality, and self. I am your host, Sammy St. Ledger. I'm so happy to be sitting here and recording this right now. Episode one came out last week and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. So shout out to everybody that's listening and shout out to everybody listening today. Got a good show today coming up right now. What have I been up to? There has not been a week that I've been home yet. I'm literally running back and forth every three days to a new town, new city. But I'm really grateful. It's been super fun. I just got back from the University of Illinois because it was homecoming and I had to go down. So that being said, enough about me and my irregular sleep cycle. <laughs> As I say that, I'm sure people are like, dude, it's like almost 11. Are you that tired? I'm like, yeah, it's 5 a.m. as far as I'm concerned. But enough about me. Let's see what's coming up on the podcast today. All right, coming up on the show today, got a lot in store. We are kicking things off like we did last week, talking about ourselves. This time we are talking about the pressure to succeed even after you just achieved something really remarkable. Next up, we're talking about the science and psych behind why somebody might ghost you if you're intimate too soon. It's Halloween, so we're talking about ghosts. I think that just goes without saying. Following that, if you stay tuned for the last segment, we are talking about dialing it back early on in relationships and dating. This is Trust Me, I'm a Novice. I am Sammy St. Ledger. Let's get into it. are officially going deep grab the snorkelers jumping in we are back to talking about our relationships with ourselves which we know can be challenging from time to time it's not easy to go inward and acknowledge what's happening but when we do we open up the window for us to become way better people and people happier with our own lives so today we are talking about something i'm in the midst of and i am sure many of you listening are also in the midst of transitions I, for one, just graduated college, and I'm home. I'm back home and slowly planning my future, which is absolutely terrifying. And I think it's worth noting that it's terrifying. It's interesting to consider a lot of times when we accomplish things, when we maybe just completed a job, we're starting a new one, when we graduate, when we win this award, when we keep moving up and things like that, of course, it is grounds for celebration. And we all know that. We celebrate graduations. We are so excited when we're about to move, when we are about to move to a new chapter. But a lot of people don't sit back and consider that right after, there's this huge feeling of, what next? What next? What's going to happen now? 
It's odd. It's really odd. And everyone is congratulating you, yet there's this part of you that is fearful, potentially sad about something you just left. I mean, I'm sure I will miss going to school down at U of I. But then there's this small anxiety. And if you're not anxious, that's great. That's honestly congratulations. <laughs> but if you are, just know you're not alone. And it is so normal to be excited and simultaneously terrified at your next step in life. One thing I would say is Putting a really big emphasis on routines during this time, if you are anxious about a transition in your life, can be really helpful. The human brain loves routines. It does. It loves them. So maybe you might feel odd because you're not working yet and you are not super productive if you're more type A. And even if you're not, if you're just naturally a type of individual that enjoys being productive. That's a super normal trait to have. And it's a normal trait to not have. But If you know you like production and you know that you're worried that you're not doing something right now that feels like you are contributing to this massive future that you want to plan for yourself and things like that, create little routines and little goals that you can accomplish so then that way you're still feeling productive. It might be as simple as working out or just getting up at a certain time. I know that's my goal. I'm just trying to get up early in the morning. That's what, (laughs) that is what 22 is actually. It's just trying to get out of bed. (laughs) Trying to adjust from four years of a sleep cycle that didn't exist at the college level. But, that being said, setting tiny routines is great. Maybe you just want to get up every day and make your bed. That's awesome. Get up every day and write something in your journal. Or get up every day and go for a walk. Go see a friend. Setting little goals each week can be a great way to constantly remind yourself that you are processing things and you're achieving things. It is super helpful, and you might not notice it right away, but I know when I actually complete a task, I feel so much better. And lately before bed now, I've been trying to write out things about how I want my day to look tomorrow, what my goals are, and it's just been helping me come out of this transition into a lot slower-paced life at the moment. Other things to keep in mind, if you're anxious about just your future and a lot of uncertainty, and this is honestly far past life transitions, If you're anxious, we just lived during a pandemic. We're still in the midst of a pandemic. So keep in mind, always practicing things that will maintain levels of anxiety or mental health issues in general. I'm talking meditation, yoga, tea, going for walks, writing, things like that. Cleaning can be super helpful. Different stuff that you know keeps anxiety kind of in check and can keep you very centered and intentional about where you are. That is also very important to keep in mind during crazy times like this. I know me and a friend always talked about we begin to exhibit signs of mental distress when we, A, have not slept enough, have not worked out, and we're not eating healthy. And it's important to recognize that what we do to our body is also affecting how our brains are working. So make sure you're taking care of things that are helping your body because in turn they're going to help your brain. I think also another thing that I have to remind myself of, and shout out to any recent graduates from high school or college, anyone that got master's, PhDs, anybody that just got a certification in a trade or anything like that, shout out to all of you. And also though, I think right now it's important to keep in mind, it's time to take a break and celebrate everything that you achieved, however that looks for you. And keep in mind that it is not a race to the next thing. 
Right now, however celebrating looks, maybe you are just spending extra time with your family, getting to know siblings, getting to know parents better, hanging out with new friends, exploring new places. Celebrate what you have accomplished because it's okay to take a break. Sometimes when you take breaks, you bounce back five times harder. And it's better for your brain and also just yourself because you deserve it. You deserve to take a break. Some people have been in school, people that completed PhDs in school for eight years, a lot of people, that's phenomenal. And that is so much time you are putting in. Right now, if you just graduated college after four years, you probably completed about 16 years of schooling. Again, fantastic. And if you just finished a job or got a new job, congrats. I'm sure the application process was really, really grueling. So be happy about where you're at. And just because you're not achieving other things doesn't mean that you are still not achieving different things, but that are going to benefit you long-term socially. At the end of the day, I said this last time, our relationships are really the essence of life. So while you might not be grinding on this next project, maybe you're getting really, really close with your mom. Or maybe you're finally getting to hug a relative that you have not seen since the pandemic started because you're both vaccinated. You know, there is so many other accomplishments and things to focus on and to enjoy. Because life, I said it, but life is meant to be appreciated as well. It's not just this series of accomplishments and things we have to knock out and get out of the way. You got to stop and smell the roses. It's hard to train yourself to do at first, but the more you're super mindful about each day and think about things, more compartmentalize them. Whereas today I'm going to do this and this is going to be great because of this. It's going to put you in a way lesser of a position that you think you have to accomplish all these tasks. And having a positive mindset, that positivity brings in a lot more positivity for you. And that is super important to keep in mind. Be grateful and be proud of yourself and let yourself have a break for now. Doesn't mean you can break forever, but it does mean that worrying about the future and all these things isn't necessarily going to change anything. It's just gonna stop you from really appreciating your life where it is at this exact moment. And when you look back on life, you want to remember that you really, really appreciated and sat within and experienced everything going on around you. I think it's important to note that life is not always about achieving. A lot of it is about appreciating. I think it's wild that right now I might feel like, oh, I just graduated. I need to be doing all these things constantly. But also, I'm living with my parents again for the first time in four years and I mean, first time for a long time in four years, I did spend the summers here, but I probably at this time next year might not be living with my parents. So this is an opportunity for me this summer to really get to spend time with them because soon enough, I won't really live with them anymore. Why wouldn't I take advantage of that time with my family instead of worrying about what I'm not accomplishing just yet? Another huge thing I talked to my sister about the other day was You got to remember when it comes to social media, we live in a world where we wake up and a lot of people, even if they don't want to, check their phones first thing in the morning. People that will be scrolling and scrolling and scrolling through Instagram, Facebook, and just looking at everybody so happy with all of these phenomenal achievements to them, or even sometimes just like looking good, but basically they look like they have their lives together every second of the day. You got to remember one very, very clear thing. People only post on social media what they want you to see. And you probably do the same. 
Social media is to obviously show off your celebrations. I think of social media a lot of ways as just marketing yourself to other people. You're not going to show, very few people are going to post like, good morning, everybody. Uh, yes, it's a lovely Sunday. I just failed the test and wrecked my car. You know, people are not going to be like, good morning, everybody. I just tripped down the stairs and haven't brushed my hair today. And it's just like a picture of them, like a mess. They're only going to post what's good. So you looking at that also is going to make you feel some type of way, whereas you might end up kind of belittling your achievements. My sister was talking about to me, like telling me to be mindful of it because she's now moved out and living in the city after graduating as well. And she's still on track, like many people, to getting started in her career. But she was saying for a while, I would look at posts on Instagram and feel some type of way that I wasn't absolute peak success yet. And she made a great point saying it's kind of a shame that social media at times makes a lot of people feel like they have to be successful when they are so young. Because you look at people on social media that are successful when they're young. And it doesn't mean that that is not a good thing and that we shouldn't strive for success. But it does mean that we need to acknowledge that we don't have to do the most all the time. And it is okay to not be where you're at or where you want to be just yet. I think sometimes you get on a track and when you're constantly surrounded by people, you start to think like, oh, I mean, yeah, for instance, right, I graduated, but I don't know, like a lot of people go to college, you might think. And when you do things like that, because you're like, yeah, I graduated, but I'm not crazy established in my career yet. I mean, but you also graduated and you should be proud of yourself for that. And looking at your accomplishments and really, truly acknowledging how much effort you put into achieving them and how much you learned and grew and being very, very proud of yourself too for what you've accomplished. Because if you sit around picking yourself apart and critiquing yourself about what you haven't done, you're never going to get anywhere. You need to be proud of what you've done because that pride will motivate you to keep going. So be very mindful on social media apps. And if you feel like certain ones are stressing you out, it's not a bad idea to remove them from your phone temporarily. And even a cool rule of thumb that I try to follow is often I do my best to not check my phone for the first hour of the day or even the first 20 minutes. But to not wake up, I'll turn off my alarm, get out of bed, go downstairs, then make breakfast and sit and just exist. And then after 20 minutes, half an hour, sometimes an hour, then I'll grab my phone and check things. But I find that that also doesn't wake me up and put me in any state of, I need to achieve all this immediately. I have to do this and this and this and things like that. It keeps me very grounded and very mindful about what's going on around me and helps me to appreciate talking to my mom, eating breakfast, drinking coffee, sitting in silence, whatever it may be. I think just to recap overall with this, it's just if you are so concerned with where you should be, you stop paying attention to where you are. And where you are is very, very, very precious. And we all want to be mindful each day when we move through of appreciating every little thing that comes into our lives each day to the best of our ability. Doesn't mean you're perfect. I'm not perfect. But remember where you are is also okay. And you're meant to be there at that point as well on your journey throughout this long, hopefully long and fantastic life. One other thing I'd like to share, and I will say 
now resorting against something I found online. Trust me, I'm a novice. And there was this post that came out on Facebook. I could not find the initial author because it had been reposted so many times. And even when I found the post on the Huffington Post, the person they cited for posting it, it's not even the sole author. So that being said, I found this really, really cool. It's this list of at what age people that are well-known made their most successful achievements or at what age they weren't succeeding in the eyes of themselves. So it reads, at age 23, Tina Fey was working at the YMCA. At age 23, Oprah was fired from her first reporting job. At age 24, Stephen King was working as a janitor and living in a trailer. At age 27, Vincent Van Gogh failed as a missionary and decided to go to art school. At age 28, J.K. Rowling was a suicidal parent living on welfare. At age 28, Wayne Coyne from The Flaming Lips was a fry cook. At age 30, Harrison Ford was a carpenter. At age 30, Martha Stewart was a stockbroker. At age 37, Ang Lee was a stay-at-home dad working odd jobs. Julia Child released her first cookbook at age 49. Vera Wang failed to make the Olympic figure skating team, didn't get the editor-in-chief position at Vogue, and designed her first dress at age 40. Stan Lee didn't release his first big comic book until he was 38. Alan Rickman gave up his graphic design career to pursue acting at age 42. Samuel L. Jackson didn't get his first movie role until he was 41. Morgan Freeman landed his first major movie role at age 52. Now this list goes on and talks about even more people that achieved at even later ages in life, saying things like, Grandma Moses didn't begin her painting career until age 76. If you pull anything from this, it's that you do not have to accomplish everything right now. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be working for your dreams, but it also means that where you're at is okay. You're not just going to throw in the towel if you don't want to. You can achieve what you want when it is necessary for you, and you can always achieve things no matter what age you are. My mother, for instance, my mom had gotten her associates in nursing. I was working as a school nurse. But when I was in eighth grade, my mom decided that she wanted to go back to college and got her bachelor's. You can do whatever you want. Your life is your own. As much as you look at templates of other people's lives and feel like you have to move in that direction, whatever you want to do, it is so up to you. So understand that you have the power to do things, but also that you will do them when you know it's time and don't worry about what you're not accomplishing just yet. I also am going to keep working on this. Don't think that just because I'm telling you how to be, it doesn't mean I don't struggle individually with these emotions as well. But I really hope each day you strive to be proud of yourself and to let yourself appreciate where you're at. All right, we are going to take a quick break. But when we come back, it is Halloween and we're talking about ghosting. But, you know, like the science behind it. Or whatever. (laughs) This is Trust Me, I'm a Novice. I'm Sammy St. Ledger. We will be right back.
It's important to note before I get into the science behind a lot of this is that when we look at society, there's a lot of rules for young women on how they should choose when and where and how to have sex with a man for the first time. There's things like the third date rule. There's the 90-day rule. I've heard people say, wait until someone says I love you and things of that nature. And also, very, very important to be aware of the double standard that does exist. All of us are aware of it. We talked about it a little bit last time, but whereas if a guy has sex with a lot of different girls right away, maybe the first night, the first date, he's great, he's celebrated, whereas a woman is not always received the same way. If it's too soon, she can be titled by her peers, even herself, family, friends, and the guy she was just with as a very derogatory term. And also what I'm about to get into, it's really big to understand that I am going to give you science to be aware of things, but it doesn't mean you can use that science to perpetuate a certain theme. It just means it's interesting to be self-aware of certain concepts and maybe have an idea as to why things happen the way that they do. At the same time, nature versus nurture is huge. And while I'm giving you the science, a lot of other things are going to come into play, how you're raised, how you're socialized, things like that. But if you've ever had an experience where you're with somebody, you have sex, and they kind of maybe go ghost, or maybe they act weird around you, they stop talking to you, usually this is going to be a person that you're not necessarily dating already or close with. It's usually going to be someone you're like recently seeing or maybe just met. But it all comes down scientifically to one primary hormone, oxytocin. A lot of us have probably heard of this hormone. Oxytocin has been referred to as the hug hormone, the cuddle hormone, cuddle chemical. I've heard a lot of different phrases and different fun little names and titles given to oxytocin. Before I start this off, I want to give a shout out to my professor that actually reintroduced me to this topic. I, while down at the University of Illinois, had the opportunity to take a class on sexual communication with Mary Ramey, and she opened my eyes to this again because I had previously heard about it when it came to a TED Talk that I had found back in the day, which I also referenced throughout this. It was an interesting TED Talk from Don Masler. Looking back now to all of this, what I have learned is that oxytocin is a hormone and it's released from the pituitary gland. Oxytocin is very helpful for a lot of different reasons. It makes us happy, it reduces stress, it increases protective instinct, and it's very, very involved in bonding with people. So oxytocin you're going to feel when you're petting a dog, when you're holding a baby, when your friend gives you a hug. Oxytocin is also very essential when it comes to childbirth. When I was putting together this segment and learning about oxytocin, I went online to an interesting blog called osmosis.org, and they explained the connection when it comes to having kids and oxytocin. An article reads, As you might imagine, for a hormone that triggers your protective instincts, oxytocin also plays a big role in maternal attachment. During childbirth, it helps with cervical dilations and contractions. It's also crucial for breastfeeding. When a baby is suckling at a parent's breast or even crying, Oxytocin is released in the brain, triggering the reflex to release breast milk from the nipples. So I found that very interesting. It's kind of, oxytocin is more or less essential for human life and human connection. Now I'm talking about things like, right, petting your dog and giving hugs to friends and things like that. But oxytocin also plays a huge, huge role in intimacy with our romantic partners. And more specifically, sex. 
what happens with oxytocin is that when a woman has sex and has an orgasm, a absolute spike of oxytocin goes through her whole body. Now, before this, when she's building up the relationship, right, when you kiss, when you're hugging, touching your partner, oxytocin is being released from your pituitary gland through your body. So you're feeling happy, your stress levels are low, you're bonding, you're starting to trust this person. However, once you have sex, that steady, gradual increase completely spikes for a woman once she has an orgasm during sex. On the other hand, while men do experience oxytocin levels rising, also men experience another hormone called vasopressin, When men have sex, vasopressin and oxytocin are being stimulated, vasopressin specifically, while men are being sexually stimulated. But that doesn't necessarily mean through penetrative sex. Because when a man has sex, a study found that the vasopressin completely drops. That, and again, this is another hormone similar to oxytocin, causing like bonding and happy feelings. Now, if you're wondering why this happens, it doesn't quite make sense at first. Like, oh, why wouldn't a woman's oxytocin jump and a man's? comes down to a hormone that many of us are absolutely familiar with, testosterone. Testosterone we know is involved in feelings of being aggressive, of also just forward action, things like that. And a man's testosterone is actually responsible for blocking the effects of oxytocin. But when a man is in love, and or in a committed relationship, a specific study came out from the United States Air Force that found Men in committed relationships had half the testosterone level of men that were single. So that means that because their testosterone is dropped or cut in half, their oxytocin is actually able to start growing. Oxytocin, again, is the neurotransmitter that is going to make us fall in love. It's heavily involved with bonds and falling in love. So what does all this mean, right? I threw a ton of science at you. I find it fascinating, but what does it actually mean? How do we apply it to real life? Now, this all depends on your goal. I think that's also important to keep in mind. I am not using this as a way to say, never, ever, ever, ever have sex with someone you just meet. But if you're curious as to why something went astray, it might be interesting to at least entertain this scientific finding that it seems to be that Women that have sex with men early on in relationships, or even before they're in the relationship, maybe a one-night stand, something like that, they're way more likely to get attached and begin to fall in love with that man because they're experiencing these high levels of this trust, love, happiness hormone. On the other hand, men's testosterone levels are high because they're more or less doing something that kind of promotes more testosterone, testosterone, right, associated with high sex drives also, things like that. They, at the time, if they barely know these people or maybe don't have a connection with them, their testosterone is encouraging them to keep moving on and meeting different people. However, if that man does not have sex with that woman, that allows everything else to gradually climb while his testosterone begins to drop. And then from there, that's when he begins to fall in love. If you have a goal, if you really like somebody, it might be interesting to entertain the idea of waiting just to have sex. Not saying don't kiss, not saying don't do whatever, but maybe waiting to get intimate right off the bat. While looking at it from a social perspective, the double standard is clearly unfair. But there is some science that I think humans in general could use to their advantage. And I think that's very worth noting. And if anything, I hope it at least lets you kind of understand why Potentially, someone might have been weird after you were super intimate with them. Because that's a very difficult feeling to go through. 
that you were just intimate, you were so vulnerable, and someone changed. It might have had something a little bit to do with their chemistry, and at that point, it's kind of out of your hands, but maybe it'll be good to know a little bit of why it happened and help you get a little more closure from a weird experience. Now, this isn't to completely also alter blame from men. If you were intimate with someone, they should treat you with respect, like a human. So if they are acting completely one way, they can also just be upfront with you about their feelings and things that are happening. They don't just have to ghost you or something like that. Overall, I just thought this was interesting to call to attention and just to look at from a scientific perspective. Because again, I said this last time, we always focus kind of on exactly who that person is, or maybe like what socially things are happening, but we don't always look right down to our biology. And again, while I'm saying this could be potentially useful and at least good to keep in mind, Everybody's goal is different. So when it comes to using information like this that I give you, if your goal is that you just want to go out and have sex with someone, that is absolutely positively fine. Everyone is their own person and able to do whatever they want to do with their life and express their sexuality however they feel inclined to. It's just interesting to note that if you do potentially want something deeper, this is something that you could keep in mind. So just overall, While you may want to keep this in mind, it's important to first be real with yourself about what your goals are when it comes to certain people and the relationships you want to have with them. And now, looking at how we apply this to the real world in an actual setting, it may mean that how we talked about the study from the U.S. Air Force, that once you are more committed with somebody, that might be a better time to have sex or maybe a safer time doesn't mean you can't be for it just means if you are concerned about someone changing or acting different because of it waiting will not only give you more peace of mind but it also will put you in a better spot to make sure certain biological functions are actually working the way that you want them to commitment looks a lot of different ways that study specifically found that men that were married as well as men that were in committed relationships so with another partner exclusively That seemed to be where the testosterone levels were halved. But again, other people, if you know, sometimes you know when someone is committed to you. So it kind of just depends. And obviously every situation is different. I'd like to think if someone said, I love you, Sue, that would also be a clear sign of commitment if you knew that they meant it. So keep in mind, everyone's situation is different. And I do know couples that did have sex the first time they were together and they were completely successful. So it really does depend which is why, again, to fall back to the nature versus nurture concept, this is just one more thing to keep in mind. So yeah, I mean, long story short, next time you get ghosted, and there will be a next time. I'm kidding, but there might be, let's be honest. Next time you get ghosted, I hope you can just kind of be like, ah, you know what, I know what this is. It's oxytocin, I understand. It's, that's the only sole thing to blame in this equation. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. But for real, hopefully it gives you a little bit of clarity. We all get ghosted. Uh, It sucks. Um, It is not fun at all. We also have all had weird experiences with people after we've been intimate with them. If you haven't, thank God. I think good for you. But if you run into these situations, keep in mind that it's perfectly normal. And sometimes you can laugh about it a little bit. And I hope learning some more of the science behind it also can kind of in a weird way help you laugh about it. Because you can genuinely realize and sit with yourself and be like, yeah, it's not me. (laughs) So don't take anything way too personally. If those things happen, hey, that person, realistically, anybody that would walk out of your life that quick probably didn't deserve to be in your life in the first place. So 
This helps to hopefully understand what happens. I really hope you all uh, don't get ghosted this week. But <laughs> if you do, if you do, know that everyone here listening has got your back. Everyone's had similar experiences. And hopefully if that happens or something happens in general, someone's being weird to you, you know that it is time to call up the friends and go out and have a great night and or watch a great movie, stay in. We are still in a pandemic, so probably the latter. But <laughs> oxytocin, that's all I have to say. And if you are a girl who goes to guy after sex, I actually have no idea. I have no idea what happened there. No clue. We can't blame that on science right now. I don't know. Maybe that guy was weird. Maybe he had some weird hobbies. Maybe he had like one foot that was like five sizes bigger than the other foot. I don't know. I don't work here. But I do work here. But <laughs> just, I have that pro. I have no, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about all that, but uh, we will figure that one out in future episodes. <laughs> that being said, we are wrapping up this segment, but if you found this discussion on hormones and the ways our brain works when it comes to love fascinating, I highly recommend that you check out the TED Talk I was referencing. That comes from Dawn Masler. You can find it on YouTube or Google it. She basically talks about the different hormones involved, neurotransmitters, and everything happening when we fall in love, and she does a great job of explaining everything that I put out here on a deeper level. Alright, that is all for that segment, but stay tuned because up next we are going to talk about the idea that while a lot of us want to go into relationships or before we pursue them, we want to play no games, we want to be very upfront about our intentions, which is often a good thing, we're talking a little bit about why dialing it back can actually be a helpful skill and tool to use in order to create success in that relationship. This is Trust Me, I'm a Novice. I'm Sammy St. Ledger. Stay tuned. turning things a little bit away from science and a little bit more into our daily lives and different experiences that we have while we are dating. This concept is kind of interesting because I for one have had more of a perspective change because I totally understand where certain ways people act and how they think where they come from and a lot of it comes from being very genuine. So if you have this mindset, don't think it means that you are wrong or you feel like you have to change who you are because it's more again like before something to keep in mind but what I'm about to talk about is more of a skill to keep in your back pocket. This first came to my attention that a lot of people that are relationship oriented and that are very genuine very good-hearted when it comes to dating and people I've heard a lot of people say, well, like, I don't want to play games. I'm I'm sweet. Like, I'm going to be very direct. I'm going to do what I want because I like that person. And that's great. It's not bad to be direct in a relationship. It never is. But the only thing is sometimes when people extend themselves, and I've done it as well. It's not by any means just other people. Sometimes when you extend yourself, 
people don't appreciate it the same way they would if you waited to put in extra effort. In a sense, you could almost call this being hard to get, but not exactly because it's not that you're resisting everything. It's just that you don't always have to play every card immediately. Now, a lot of people will think, yes, like I don't want to play games. I don't, I want to be up front. But it's not so much that if you do play games, you're going to be a certain way or change who you are. It's a lot more about just dialing back excessive effort. That sounds a little weird at first, right? When I'm referencing this too, I think it's important that I'm referencing more of a masculine and feminine dynamic. And I'm talking about that type of energy. I'm not talking about male and female. It doesn't really pertain to what gender you identify with. It's more about that kind of chase and receive energy. So whatever or however you fall into it, and it can be applicable to both energies as well. The idea is that when you really like somebody, but when I say the term dialing it back, it more just means that you don't need to tell everybody everything about you right off the bat, and you don't need to put in excessive effort. By that, I mean constantly like double, triple texting, being the only person that calls, going out of your way to see that person, being the only one to drive to them, always being available, things like that. Canceling plans because you want to see that person. It's important to note that dialing everything back and not looking, even if you are, this is about someone that you're interested in, right? You're interested in them, but it's just the fact that you don't need to show that in every possible way just yet. Because if you do, then once you get into a committed relationship with them, if that is what you want, then you can be yourself, you can be fully invested as you should be because a healthy relationship, both sides are equally giving. So why would we dial it back though? There's a lot of different reasons and some are fun and some are just very practical. First off, I'd like to think of it more from a position of when you are going out and meeting people and you want to get into a relationship, You can't let the fact that you want to be in a relationship make you act over the top in a certain way. You need to view it as people that are pursuing you need to earn you. And you are a special person. Every single person listening has something valuable to give to the world. So nobody should immediately be able to walk into your life and you give them all of your wisdom, all of your experience, your happiness, your closeness. They didn't earn that. And think about even certain things that, you know, felt better when you earned them. I think about, I used to play softball growing up. When I got a participation trophy at the end of the year, it was super nice, but did I feel like I earned it? And did I value it the same way of a championship trophy that I earned? No. (laughs) And that's just plain and simple. We value the things that we work for. So that's a way of making sure that you respect yourself and hold yourself up in a certain area of value. And when you do hold yourself up and not always be available, not give, not share everything right off the bat, you also make sure that that person, if they're interested in you, needs to prove that to you. It's very easy in a world of technology to think, oh, well, he texted me this day, like to look at the smallest ways that people pursue you and try and think like it's this big effort. But it's really not. I think it's important to remember back in the day that we used to have courting. People used to have to show up at doors. People used to have to talk to your parents and all these things. Now, I mean, somebody can just DM you over a dating app or even Instagram or text and right away just engage with you that way. And you could right away just run over and go over to them or 
immediately hang out with them and talk to them. It's a lot more accessible. But just because it's more accessible doesn't mean that you need to make yourself more accessible. When someone is proving it to you, you're also moving forward. You are keeping yourself protected from those that aren't going to. When you share everything, you become very vulnerable. And this type of sharing, while it could be physical, it can also be emotional. You might tell someone something really deep with you. And you don't want to share that with somebody that not only hasn't earned it, but somebody that really doesn't have your best interest in mind. Someone might act interested in you, but they might have different intentions than you have. So when you don't overshare, if that thing falls through with them, you're not going to be so disheartened. You're going to understand and you're going to not feel like you kind of gave everything away and then that person took it and left. By dialing it back in the beginning, when we're first getting to know people, it's a way better way to just keep yourself from getting hurt. In addition to this, it also prevents early notions of becoming codependent with people. Codependency is when you are basically, your emotions depend on your partners and vice versa. And when you first get to know somebody, you do not need, in general, even once you're committed, no one person should be responsible for how your emotions are moving. You are responsible for your own emotions, but also other people should be able to still make you happy, make you X, Y, Z. It should not be solely focused on one person because when that person's gone, then what are you at that point? And you never want to put yourself in a situation. It doesn't mean you might have in the past, but you want to be very self-aware of how much you are putting effort into others because when you put a ton of effort into one person, you expect a lot more from them. And if you do this early on, it can set a tone for the relationship that ends up being unhealthy and in the end toxic. Now, finally, I implore you to also consider how much more fun things can be if you dial it back. Personally, I think a lot of people, when they look back on partners they are with, it's fun to reminisce on the beginning of being with them. And when it was this chase, when it was, I don't know if they'll do this. Oh, I don't know if this is happening. Like, you're trying to make things work, things are falling through, but then you see them and there's this fun push-pull back forth. I think sometimes we get caught up in this idea that we are supposed to be with somebody and we have to find them and they're going to be a soulmate and this and that, when in reality, dating is supposed to be fun. You shouldn't feel like it's a pressure and when we're overextending and we're doing all this, we're showing it's such a priority instead of something that is just adding a little bit of fun and light to our lives. So when we dial it back, we're not as concerned with that person. And because of that, we might be out with our friends. We might be doing some of our favorite hobbies. We might be exploring somewhere new, traveling somewhere else, because we're still living our lives. And if that person puts an effort and makes their way into our lives, then that's fine. But in the meantime, you want to enjoy all the time you have before you're in a relationship, when you're exploring who you are. And that is really, really valuable to maintain that. Because again, once you're in the relationship, you're also going to be way more likely to maintain that awareness. One more thing to note is that if you don't overextend yourself to one person specifically, you prevent yourself from blocking yourself from other people that would be a lot better for you. You never want to put yourself in a situation where you are giving your all to one person, they don't have your best intention, and because you're putting all that energy there, someone that also would be great for you is not even being considered or recognized. 
You don't want to do that. When you play it light, when you keep it light, when you refrain from giving your all right off the bat, that's when you are able to make sure you're making the right choice. And then make sure that you don't end up getting into something toxic or something that, not, not even to say every relationship is toxic, but something that won't serve you the same way another relationship would. Now, let's turn to books, right? <laughs> All right, so I found a great example of this explanation in a very funny book. We're going to call it Why Men Love Female Dogs, to keep it PG. <laughs> the book is written by New York Times bestselling author Sherry Argove. And it's basically a ton of different chapters about the way that feminine energy can use masculine energy to their advantage, but also just helpful skills and tools. I don't mean to say advantage as in taking advantage of people, but more to understand it so both energies flow naturally together. Now, in her first chapter, I thought it was very funny. She has these attraction principles throughout the book. And this one says, attraction principle eight. The biggest variable between a female dog and a woman who is too nice is fear. The female dog shows that she's not afraid to be without him. And again, this is referencing him and her. It could be any type of gender, whatever people prescribe to. But it's just interesting to read that because she goes into... There's a couple paragraphs I'm going to read through. Says, ever notice when you're on your phone ignoring the man you're with, suddenly he'll start kissing your neck and try to get your attention. Ignore him and he is intrigued. Make him the center of attention all the time, and he runs. Margaret Atwood said, Fear has a smell, as love does. It is said that excitement and fear come from the same part of the brain. When a man is slightly afraid of losing a woman, his excitement is piqued. His psyche is like a plant. It needs water, but also air to breathe. To give a man too much reassurance too soon is the same as overrunning a plant. It kills it. One of the things women have to get out of their mindset is the notion of what a female dog is. A female dog is nice. She's sweet as a Georgia peach. She smiles and she's feminine. She just doesn't make decisions based on fear of losing a man. The difference between the female dog and the nice girl is not so much in their personalities or in their demeanor. It has nothing to do with how abrasive a woman is. A female dog is a female dog with her actions because she isn't willing to give herself up. Now, I thought that was very interesting and stems from our conversation because it also plays into this idea of just pure psyche behind it, that when you overextend yourself, you also become less attractive because someone already knows everything about you. There isn't that mystery and there isn't this getting this person. And when you have less time with things, they're more precious. And that is just a rule of life in general, regardless of what it is. So when you overextend yourself, like she said, it's overwatering the plant's going to kill it. So that chapter is funny to note just the way that it's important to look at how the psychology of it plays out. But also, even if you pull anything from all of this, I just hope it's that maintaining your own sense of life and worth and protecting yourself is so much more important than worrying that if you don't extend yourself, if you're not direct, that something's going to happen, that you're going to lose that person, it's not going to work. It's way better to dial it back and see if that person deserves to be in your life than trying to prove to them why they deserve to be in your life. All right, that wraps up episode two of Trust Me, I'm a Novice. Thank you to everybody that tuned in. As per usual, give me a follow on Instagram at Trust Me, I'm a Novice. DM me if you have any questions, comments, concerns. And besides that, thanks to everybody again that tuned in. I hope you're having a lovely October and keep making those ghosting jokes. Besides that, this show, episode three, will be back next week. So look out for that and I will talk to you then. 
And like, don't forget to trust me, right? Because I'm a novice. <laughs>